You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 28. We have another busy show for you this week. We start by updating you on what has become an ongoing bidding war for small cap networking equipment company Sandvine Corporation, SVC, on the TSX, a company we've had in our coverage for a couple years now. In fact, the company received another higher takeover bid just yesterday afternoon. We also have a brief chat about our findings from our recent discovery research in the Canadian and U.S. markets. We figure out if there's any value out there that we're finding right now and let you know what we're finding in our initial research. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we take a question from a listener about a new microcap company called Organic Garage Limited. OG on the TSX Venture, an independent Ontario-based natural and organic grocery chain. We figure out whether it's a buy or sell at present. Our star of the week is New Look Vision Group, BCI on the TSX, a provider of eye care products and services in Eastern Canada, which jumped 12% this past week as it announced an acquisition of a rival eyewear firm. Our dog of the week is Market Darling Tesla TSLA on the NASDAQ, which lost over 18% of its value this past week after Goldman Sachs stated the company's shares could lose nearly half their value and reiterated their sell rating on the electronic car maker while cutting their price to $180, about 49% lower than its stock closed at on Monday this past week. Now, if this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Keystocks, and on Facebook. Now, let's dig into the show. I would again like to welcome my co-host, Keystone Senior Equity Analyst, a father of one, and a man who's so thrilled with his Vancouver Canucks drafted another Swede again this past week and with their first pick in the NHL entry draft that he is pitching the team on a new Swedish reality TV show, believes the I- that IKEA should automatically be the sponsor of the team, and the company should change their jerseys to the Swedish national uniform. Mr. Aaron Dunn. Hello, Ryan. How are you today? I am very good. I'm excellent. Uh, and we're going to kick off this show by talking about and updating, which has become an ongoing saga. That's on Sandvine Corporation. I hear you're a little grumpy over that, actually. Yeah, I mean, I'll never, I'll never turn down the return. You know, it's over 50% that we've gained on this stock. It's great to see. Uh, but there's a few. I've got a couple little bones of contention that I'd like to pick with management. So first off, the company we're talking about is Sandvine. For those who are unaware, SVC on the TSX venture. It's trading around 429. In fact, it was halted uh, with about an hour left in trading on Friday at 429. We expect it to move higher. I'll tell you why in a second. Sandvine Incorporated is a networking company uh, based in Waterloo, Ontario. Uh, It's a network policy control company with products that are designed to implement broad network policies ranging from service creation, billing, congestion management, and security. Now, 
the company has been playing essentially a, game, a financial market game of chicken. Two companies have that are bid in a bidding war for this to buy this company out. We believe uh, we're closing in on the end of this bidding war. Through the process, we have recommended to our clients to continue to hold the shares as the potential for competing bids uh, or a superior bid has outweighed the potential for no further bids. The stock has added about 16% since the original bid, and that has pushed our return up, um, including dividends, well above 50% on the stock. So we're pleased with that overall. But like I said, we're not pleased with some of the conduct of, conduct of management during the process. First of all, the management team and board signed into the original agreement with Vector Capital at 380. Uh, to put it bluntly, we thought, and it was our opinion at that point, that the, the bid and the offer was low. But we can forgive the management team to a degree as the company was permitted to, a, to have a go-shop period under which it would solicit new and, and higher offers if they were there. Uh, it would have been nice to have a higher starting point and have the board sign off on that, but that was not to be here. What, what really is my bone of contention, or one of the bones here, is that management structured the deal so that Sandvine's CEO, Dave Caputo, together with a number of members of Sandvine's senior management team, Don Bowman, Tim, Tom Donnelly, Brad Sim, and Scott Hamilton, who's also a board member with Caputo, agreed to exchange an aggregate of about 5.1 million of their shares, representing the majority of their common holdings in the company for shares of an affiliate of the AcquireCo, so an affiliate of Vector Capital. Essentially, they are taking a different deal, not the cash that the shareholders are to receive. Yet the company's board of directors, who two of the management team are part of, recommend to shareholders to vote for the deal all in cash. So, I mean, that leaves a poor taste in my mouth. The management team's reason for taking the shares in the Acquire Co. was to reinforce Sandvine's senior management team's full uh, commitment to the company's long-term success. In my opinion, management's loyalty should be to the owners of the business, the shareholders. In this case, they are not aligned with shareholders as their returns in terms of their shareholdings uh, are, uh, are the same regardless of what price shareholders receive under the Vector offer. They are not really incentivized to work their butts off to get a higher bid. Frankly, in a takeover situa situation, shareholders could give a rat's behind as to management's commitment to the company beyond the cash payment for their shares. So really, that sentiment rings hollow. Now, moving on, some other bones here that I'd like to pick. The original arranged agreement provided for a termination fee of 8.4 million Canadian with respect to a termination of the deal during a go shop period. And following the go shop period, it was to increase to 16.9 million in certain circumstances. To begin with, why a company that is in high demand, which Sandvine clearly is, you can note the competing bids. There's also an, a couple other companies that have been noted that were uh, kicking the tires on the business. I'm not sure why a company like that needs to provide a termination fee period to a suitor who is uh, to the suitor at all. Uh, now, I understand in certain circumstances it's customary to do so. 
But in this case, we are we seriously going to believe that Vector would have not entered into the agreement if the termination fee was not offered? They are in the business of acquisitions. They're a private equity firm, and factor due diligence costs and breakup and and due diligence costs into their daily operations is not. It's really a cost of doing business for a company like this, and a company being taken over should not have to pay them for them to conduct their due diligence, essentially. Sandvine was certainly not starved for capital. Uh, there's a, over $150 million in cash in the bank and should have been in no hurry to sell itself unless a very attractive takeover bid appeared. Now, all the breakup fee does at this stage is to discourage competing bids, and this is irresponsible to shareholders, in my opinion. Now, finally, under the original agreement, Vector and Sandmine, like I said, the termination fee or break fee was not increased to $16.9 million until the end of the go-shop period, which was yesterday, July 7, 2017. Now, management amended the deal, however, in its agreement with Vector, the second agreement where they agreed to match the 415 bid, which was made on July 6th and they increased the break fee to $16.9 million immediately. Again, this is disappointing, is all it serves to do, especially when there's a competitor doing bidding at that time, all it serves to do is deter a competing bid. Now, I'd hope that the management team of any responsible public company would really take the same offer as shareholders and be screaming to the, uh, you know, at the tops of every skyscraper in town across the globe that the company was for sale and open to all bids with no penalties. And that's just kind of my rant on this subject today. That's a rant, but it's it's a good point because it's it, breakup fees are not something that you really hear discussed in the market, but they really, I, I can understand the reason for them. I can understand that if, if, one company has to put in a lot of time and effort into investigating another company that they want to acquire. Um, that 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 you know, if they come to an agreement, um, that they get something. If if that other company just does not decide to to follow through with with that agreement because the they don't get the shareholder vote or whatnot, but. You know, eight point four million. You said was was the original breakup fee increasing to seventeen million. Where are those costs? I mean, it's not costing a company eight point four million dollars to do their due diligence, and it certainly isn't costing them seventeen million. And this reminds me actually of a, a somewhat similar situation that we went through in the income stock research last year, where we recommended a company in the summer called Milestone Apartment REIT, which I really thought was probably one of the best REITs, if not the best REITs at the time to invest in, um, in, in, in North America. And they got taken out shortly after that, about six months after. And it was a nice return. We were up about 20% plus whatever the income distribution was over that period of time. But their breakup fee, which didn't even escalate, it just, it was the breakup fee right when the acquisition was announced. Their breakup fee was, was in the 20 something million or 30 something million. Uh, and, and so you just didn't get any other, any other takers that breakup fee was so high that it just, it didn't incentivize the, it didn't incentivize a situation where there was a lot of competition for other companies to come in and for, for the shareholders to accept another offer. Cause it really had to be really had to be quite a bit better than, than, than the original offer. So it's, it's, it's not really something that's talked about a lot, but it's highly prone to manipulation in my opinion. 
Yeah, and, and like you said, we can understand having a breakup fee once an agreement has been entered into, and, and you know, you say if you can't get a shareholder vote uh, on the deal, and there's a lot of time that's gone in from the other side. But in this case, in our opinion, too, uh, there's a number of things at, at work here, but uh, Sandvine had a ton of leverage here. There's a ton of cash in the bank. There was no need uh, to or make an argument that they needed to go to private equity to uh, fund upcoming growth or anything like that. They had all the money and capital needed to fund growth. Um, and they had they have multiple bidders, obviously, as you can see. So they're in the driver's seat in terms of what they can dictate uh, in the terms of the offering, and anything is open. Uh, so in this case, in our opinion, the size of the, the break fee and the increase on the break fee, which makes it more punitive going forward, is just unnecessary and shouldn't have been entered into by management. The other fact is that management is not even getting the cash offering that that the uh, shareholders are getting, and, and that puts them uh, in a different position than shareholders, which uh, anytime you see that, you could see potentially management acting in, in, a, in a factor that uh, wouldn't align them with shareholders. And we think, you know, in some respects that is happening here, and you hate to see something like that go on. Uh, and that's why we speak uh, against and just highlight what is happening in this situation right now. Again, we're getting a great return here, but uh, you know you always want a higher return. Now, well, you want a fair you want a fair return. Yeah, it it, yeah, it doesn't course. matter that you're getting a, a great return if you can yeah. get if somebody's willing to pay ten percent more, five percent more than the shareholders deserve that money you don't want to just leave it on the table for no reason so of course it's if, and, I'm, if, and i'm sure the company is as with my discussions with with milestone i thought that it was it was a a low takeout price i i don't know what your opinion i i mean the, the sandvine situation might be a little bit different but if if there's an opportunity for somebody to pay more yeah. shareholders deserve that yeah i mean and initially it was low and the mechanisms in place are having it creep up uh to where it should be i'm not sure why management would sign into the initial deal, um, start higher, move higher would be my opinion. But I mean, some of the reasons why is, you know, they're personally, they're not benefiting from the higher price in the market. So uh, that, whether that's factoring in or not, um, it remains to be, is up for debate, I guess. But um, hopefully the market continues to move higher. The bid, the last bid is at 440. So the shares closed on Friday at four. 29, they will move up to at least the 440 mark. Uh, this is probably close to where uh, we see a conclusion for the bidding process for Sandvine, but we'll continue to monitor monitor the situation going forward. It's been interesting for sure. Now, we're going to look at some current market conditions. Uh, we often, at least twice a year, both myself and Aaron uh, go through the full number of companies on CDAR in Canada. There's uh, over 3,500, almost 4,000 companies on there. And we look through Edgar at, in some select areas in the U.S., uh, looking through companies' uh, MD&As, their annual financial statements. So we're going to give you some of our feedback from our initial search that we're doing right now, the second one in the year. Uh, broadly, in what I'm seeing, and I'll ask Aaron too, is there's not a great deal of value out there. Stock valuations, say to cash flow, earnings are relatively high. Uh, if you factor in continual growth, then they may be okay. Uh, then the broader indexes are priced decently, but 
if you don't factor in this continued growth over the next two or three years, there's a real argument that there could be a correction. I'm saying that that's going to happen, but when you see broader markets trading at high valuations, this can happen. It can happen in two weeks. It can happen in two years. But you know, it it's when you're not finding a lot of broad value, then you know it, it kind of raises some red flags. Number two, we are finding we are finding some select value, but particularly in the small caps uh, that I'm looking for, that value is being uncovered more in cyclical stocks, where you have to be wary of value because if you find a cyclical stock at its peak in terms of earnings, uh, it can fall off a cliff uh, in one to two years to follow, and then you've kind of had a value trap there. Uh, we're also looking at companies when you see value, there's some red flags around them. Uh, I've found a number lately that had good valuations, but they suffer from very poor investor communications. In some cases where management is just really not talking to the market at all. So these companies I would call orphans and you have to be wary of these situations. There can be some select value found in orphans uh, for the right type of investor but they're not for every investor for sure. We would prefer to find a company with great value who does communicate well with the market. Uh, sometimes in markets such as this where you're seeing pricey markets on, a, on average, orphan situations stick out because they are not talking to the market. Nobody knows about the situation. And uh, there's a unique situation or di dynamic going on in the business. And you have to be wary of these situations uh, and to, as to why they're trading at such low valuations. One other finding that I would say is we are okay right now with holding an above average percentage of cash in our portfolio. It doesn't stress us out to any degree. Uh, why, why do we have this above average cash value in our portfolio right now? Well, there's, you know, for the small cap coverage that we do in Canada, there's been a number of takeovers just in the first half of this year from companies on our focus buy list. That would include International Road Dynamics, IRD on the TXSX, which was bought out. Maris Labs, MSL, and TSX, which is just bought out. And, of course, Sandvine, uh, SVC on the TSX, which um, is just in the process of a takeover bid right now. Uh, part of this has come from also a lack of new buys uh, due to the fact that there's generally not a great deal of value in the market right now. So we'll say that we're patient here and we're happy to wait for good long-term buying opportunities right now. And of course, what we what we often hear from investors, um, especially in, in in a market situation like we're in right now, where we had a, a great run last year, the market's been pretty flat so far year to date, but we haven't really seen a stiff correction in the market. So of course, investors that we talk to are always concerned, are we facing a correction in the market? And I would say we're, we're probably overdue for one right now. But that's not that that's not a prediction. That's just that's it's impossible to predict so that's that's just based on the fact that we've we've seen volatility essentially you know every year since since 2010 every year to 18 months we've seen a fairly stiff correction in the market after which the market has rebounded and and that correction has opened up buying opportunities for us so i would say that we're probably overdue but it's it's impossible to say when that's going to happen so we're 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 always looking for value we're always looking for pockets of strength in any market and generally we're always able to find select opportunities but as you said Ryan you don't have to be in a hurry if you're sitting on cash right now be open to buy opportunities be open to to 
looking at stocks and, and to adding positions to your portfolio. But we're in, we're in the, the volatile summer period. And as you said, valuations are, you know, they're not extreme, but they're certainly not, there's certainly not a lot of obvious value out there. So you have to be very selective and it's nice to have some capital available in your portfolio to jump on opportunities when they do become available. And, and we think that there are going to be some good opportunities over the next couple of months. Yeah, and, and I'd like to step back and say, you know, we're not, it's not an alarming situation or anything that we're not seeing any value out there. We have encountered this numerous times um, in our sweeps of CDR and Edgar. Uh, even at the start of this year, really, there was a similar type situation where we saw valuations, broadly speaking, relatively high. But we're still able to find some great companies. I mean, I'll give you an example. At the start of this year, we had a similar feeling going through. We found a company called Photon Control, or we, we saw it in our research there. It was trading around 85, 90 cents, and now it's $1.40. So a tremendous return since that time. International Road Dynamics was trading then at, uh, I believe, the 230 to 260 range. Uh, Broader markets we thought were not cheap, but that company came across our radar and subsequently two months later was bought out at over $4.20. So, you know, there is select value that we find. We're just having to dig a lot deeper right now. Yeah, so. I think that if you look at just the average multiple right now, it's 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 around 18 right now, which is not which is not out of line with historical averages. I mean, that's not it's not extremely high by any stretch of the imagination, but I really don't think that looking at the average market multiple really provides a good picture of of what's going on. So, you know, for example, as you said, there's there's cyclical companies. Um, there's some decent value there, but you know that's not necessarily a, an area that we would advise investors to load up on. And and really, you you have to take a more granular view of the market and not just look at the averages and just just look at you know what are companies that are that have growth and and you know, strong financial positions and are in generally good shape, you know, what kind of valuations are you seeing on that, those types of names, and what kind of valuations are you seeing on names that are that are lower quality? Because you could have a situation where, you know, all the good companies are trading at extremely high valuations and the poor companies, companies with challenges are ex- trading at extremely low valuations. And if you average all that out, it, it might look, you know, fairly normal. But not saying that that's the case right now, just that's just an example of how, you know, the the average multiple for the whole market, the average valuation multiple does not necessarily tell the whole picture, tell the whole story. Yeah, and I think the 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 scenario you painted there where great companies, good companies are trading at higher valuations and poor companies are cyclical, say the energy sex, sector seem to be trading at lower valuations. I mean, we're, we're closer to that than other scenarios right now, and that's why maybe the average PE uh, doesn't look as high as it should, but I mean, you're looking at where you're finding value, like I said, are in some cyclical situations and some special situations where really there should be value right now because, um, and not necessarily value is the right term, but there should be lower valuations right now in that sector because uh, of the fact that, you know, say energy prices are not uh, where they need to be to have that sector uh, have some, any growth right now, really. So that's why you see low valuations there. So it's a good reason, and it's a bit of a value trap if you see some there. 
And we saw that at the start of the year when oil uh, stocks went up initially, but uh, energy prices have not and oil prices have not had any sustainable run this year. And, and you see oil prices falling off. And we expect that uh, energy service, energy, uh, and energy stocks could continue to fall off into tax loss selling again this year. Maybe we'll look at the sector at that point, but it's not something we're looking at right now. Now we're going to look first here at our Your Stock, Our Take. This is from our listeners across Canada. We had a question submitted by one listener on a company called Organic Garage Limited, OG on the TSX Venture. It's a true micro cap trading at $0.39. Cents. Its market cap is about $12.75 million. Aaron, I'm going to let you uh, dig into that one. Sure. Okay. So OG is an expanding specialty retailer of natural and organic groceries. So its focus is on providing high quality products at, as it says, affordable prices. I can't confirm that myself. Uh, with the goal being to generate long-term relationships with customers based on transparent, honest approach, blah, 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 blah. So it's uh, it's it's an organic uh, food retailer. Um, so in recent news, the on July 5th, the company announced that it that its grand opening of its newest flagship store uh, located at 43 Junction Road in Toronto's West End. What's our take? Well, there, there are definitely some pluses on the company. Um, at least this is a real business. They are trying to make a go of it. And that may sound like it, like it's a low bar. But, you know, with the TSX Venture, that, that exchange is fraught with shell companies with no current investment merit at all. So they, they have a decent balance sheet, $2.6 million in cash and cash equivalents, limited debt. And we would expect this to change as they have to take in capital to, to expand the business. Um, but in terms of it actually being a real business, as I said, in the last quarter, the company reported $4.2 million in sales, which was up just slightly from $4.1 million in the previous quarter. Both quarters, though, the company produced losses. Um, in the last quarter, they lost $148,000 and uh, $45,000 um, in the quarter before that. So the company passes our first hurdle of revenues, but it doesn't make uh, the cut with respect to profitability. Uh, from here, we can look at the outlook. At this stage, the company's not providing any guidance to the market, so we don't necessarily see a path to profitability laid out, although you know, it is nice to see some increase in, in revenues, and the, the net loss is not extreme. It's not like they're losing millions of dollars per quarter, but they are still not, not turning out a profit. So they haven't, they haven't proven the economic viability of the business to us. Um, at this stage, while there is some promise, the company is 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 in a really tough market segment segment which which has low margins, and we see a good deal of capital needed for expansion. So at this stage, we'll mo- we would monitor a company like this, but we wouldn't be buyers. We would like to see good profitability. The company put out at least a couple quarters where they're they're demonstrating positive earnings, and we also think that they can do a better plan of communicating with investors and just you know talk a little bit about their their growth strategy and, and what they expect that to to achieve over the next 12 to 24 months yeah it's a good summary i mean I, I think you know there is some interesting parts and elements to the business and like you said it looks like a low bar but they do have an actual business here i think it's a very tough business to operate in low potential low margin business um, i mean i like the organic side but most grocers out there now offer full organic sections so hopefully they can compete in that uh, tough segment. Um, but we, like you said at the end there, I think management should do a better job communicating its plan to investors. When we took a quick look 
on some of their press releases. Most recent, it said the company had two stores. Uh, when I went to their website, I noticed that there were four locations at present. So you, you'd want to get out there that the business has doubled. Uh, you'd want to tell the market that. So, you know, a clear pl plan on strategic growth on the company's website for investors to look at would be a big help for this business. And I'll also just say, yeah, yeah, sorry, I'll also just say too that with a lot of these companies, the management's opinion will be, well, if we grow the business and we were successful operationally, then that is going to be what drives the stock long term, which, which I agree, that should be the focus. But especially when you're a small company like that, you're, you're going to have to raise capital, presumably at some point in order to expand. So if you're not communicating with the market, likely you're not going to get a full valuation on, on your stock, which means you're going to have to raise capital um, at a higher cost. You're going to have to raise, you're, you're going to have to sell more shares and dilute shareholders more to raise the same amount of capital. So just investing a little bit of effort into communicating what your strategy is and, and, and getting information out to investors can actually be really beneficial to the long-term growth of the business and, and reduce future dilution when they do have to raise money. Yeah, the primary concern of management to run the business well and profitable over time, like you said, it really does uh, you a good service to go out there and talk to the market at least and say what your strategy is going forward. Look, we've seen a lot of companies with far worse communication than this company. Uh, it would just be a good idea for them to, you know, get ahead of the, the, the situation and then talk to the market a little more and make sure that the investor message is cohesive going forward. Now, the, the star of the week from our Stars and Dogs segment, it's time for this week's star. I'm going to look at that is a company that we actually covered in our small cap coverage years ago, made a great profit on and sold out of. Uh, it's a company called New Look Vision Group. BCI is its symbol on the TSX. New Look is a leading provider of eye care products and services. Primarily, it has been in Eastern Canada. They had three main banners, New Look Eyewear, Vogue Optical, and Greish and Scaff. Um, they had corporate-owned 227 stores. Now, the shares jumped over 12% this week, which makes it a star. Following the announcement on July 4th that it entered into a definitive agreement to acquire all the shares of Iris Optical, a company founded uh, back in 1990. Uh, Iris has grown to be one of the leading optometrist-based retail eye care providers across Canada. They had a network of stores of 150, 53 of those being corporate-owned and 77 being joint-owned and tw 20 franchises. Uh, the stores were in Quebec, British Columbia, Alberta, Ontario, and New Brunswick. Adjusted on a pro forma basis, the consolidated revenues, not system sales, but the consolidated revenues were around $60 million for Iris, so it's a significant acquisition for New Look. The purchase uh, price was $120 million on a cash-free and debt-free basis. Now, the combined entity will have estimated revenues exceeding $265 million and a store network in excess of 375 locations. That'll reinforce New Look's position as the largest Canadian retailer of optical, optical in Canada and the eighth largest in North America. They'll be a dominant player in Quebec, the Atlantic provinces, and into British Columbia. 
it should lead, and in these cases, that's what you're looking for, but it should lead to greater efficiencies and lower operating costs in many areas of operation. Now, let's look at New Look's recent financials. Uh, earnings in the last quarter, uh, or revenue, sorry, were up around uh, 14.5%, up to $51 million. EBITDA grew about 8.3% to $7.8 million. Adjusted earnings came in at 2.4 million or 17 cents per share compared to 2.2 million or 16 cents in the same period last year. So only growing earnings from 16 to 17 cents, um, indication that growth was slowing in this business. This acquisition is likely to try to put an uptick and boost growth going forward. Our take here is the deal makes... New Look, obviously a dominant player in Canada. Uh, this company has grown its revenues quite well since 2012, uh, when they were about 82 million. They've grown to 2016 up to 199 million, and we're going to see growth going forward, obviously, from this acquisition. It's been a good growth story. That growth had slowed in recent years, and you can see the shares of the business were up until this acquisition was announced were relatively flat in the market. That is because you're seeing slowed growth. From a valuation perspective, that's the other side of this company. The stock has not been cheap for some time. Prior to this acquisition, the company traded around 40 times earnings and 20 times cash flow, both premium to what we would call expensive multiples, even for a solid growth stock. So the company has taken on some significant debt and leveraged its balance sheet uh, to a higher range to make this acquisition a go. At present, we see the shares as fully valued following the jump uh, after the acquisition, but the company holds potential for growth over the next two to five years going forward. We're going to monitor it and stay on the sidelines right now, but you know it is a good business. Uh, we like uh the consolidation that it's doing in that segment. Uh, it's just not trading at uh, anything close to value right now. So uh, we will continue to monitor the situation going forward. But the jump in the shares of over 12% this week after July 4th make it our star of the week. Yeah, 40 times earnings, it's 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 hard to see value in that. It's not like it's growing at 40%. No. I mean, and you're going to see some built-in growth with the acquisition, but obviously they're paying for it out of debt, so you have to factor that in on an enterprise value basis. So, Our dog of the week, we're moving on. From our stars and dogs segment, it's time for this week's dog. Market darling. Tesla Inc. T-S-L-A on the NASDAQ. And Aaron, I'm going to let you take away our dog. Yeah, Tesla, dog of the week, quite surprisingly, actually. So I, everybody knows Tesla, the world's number one maker of electric cars. So no need for an introduction. And the stock has been on a tear since the start of the year, but it hit a bump in the road last week, sending the share price down nearly 20%. So what happened? Um, well, one issue was that the company missed expectations on uh, vehicle deliveries in Q2. They delivered 22,000 vehicles compared to 25,000 in the same quarter last year, and below, slightly below analyst consensus of 23,500. So not not a uh, not a big miss, but but still a miss for a company that has been widely touted. Uh, Tesla blamed 
severe production shortfall of its battery packs and said that the production averaged um, 40% below demand until early June. Um, but they say that the issues have now been resolved and that production is back at full speed going forward. So they don't they don't foresee any issues. But analysts at Goldman Sachs, they they don't seem convinced. Um, Goldman issued a report. They reduced their six month price target on Tesla to $180 from $190. And they for that for that they cited uh, plateauing sales of the company's existing Model S vehicle. And they also believe that the company, that the company is going to have trouble hitting its production targets for the year. So they have a sell rating on the stock. Um, Tesla's trading right now at over $300, about $330 per share. Their price target, $180. So you're looking at about a 50% decline in the company's share price, according to Goldman, over the next six months. I also believe there's some other things at play as well. Um, one of those is concerns over competition that may be weighing on the stock, Um no secret, all the other car makers are investing heavily in their own electric vehicles. And just last week, Volvo announced that it was going to be converting its production to all electric vehicles um, by 2019 and, and afterwards. So no non-electric vehicles from Volvo as of 2019. Uh, in my personal experience, I, I think Tesla's got a great product. I was shopping for a, a car myself about nine months ago, and I did a lot of research on electric vehicles. So at the time, the stats on Tesla with respect to the, the driving range and the charging time, they they really blew away all the, all the other options that I saw. So I was really impressed. Um, so there is a real competitive advantage there with the company, and it's it's but it but it is going to be facing more and more competition going forward, and I'm sure that that is going to concern investors. So over the last year, as I said, Tesla has been anything but a dog, although it's down almost 20% last week. It's still up after that decline, 45% since the start of the year. Looking at the company financially, which is what we always do, we're not, we're not looking at the company's story necessarily. We love a good story, but the, the numbers have to support that story. Um, the numbers to us do not support the story yet. The company continues to burn through cash. It's only had a single quarter profitability in its history. That was Q3 of last year. They squeaked out about an $80 million operating profit. But they're continuing to lose in the last quarter, which was fully reported quarter, which was Q1. They lost about $250 million. And that's typically what I see in terms of um, net operating loss from the company on a quarterly basis, about $250 million per quarter. So this is not a company that would pass our investment criteria. That's a great summary, and uh, it's going to end our, uh, our our podcast for this week. I'd like to, again, thank Aaron for co-hosting with me. Uh, I'd like to thank our listeners for listening and encourage all of our listeners who've got any questions to send their questions in on any stock uh, to our Your Stock our take segment and we'll take a look at them from our analyst perspective you can either tweet us them out uh, on twitter at keystocks send them to our facebook or send them the traditional way via email uh, to uh, on the contact us button on our website at www.keystocks.com again i'd like to well or uh, say to our listeners profitable investing thank you ryan profitable investing